Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. What does it take to rebuild from failure? Meet my podcast guest today, Daniel Mangana. He is a young winner, an achiever, and a shining success, except then he lost it all. He says, I know what it's like to hit a rough patch in life. I once contemplated suicide because I couldn't envision my life being worth living anymore. A life-shattering trauma at the age of 20, a late diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome, and amassing a great deal of wealth and then losing it all took its toll. But then he rebuilt it, only differently. Today, Dan is a global soul, a five-time author, and an entrepreneurial coach and business advisor. Dan is joining us today to talk about recharging yourself, what it means to him to have purpose and how success can come from adversity. As an entrepreneur's advisor, Dan is going to share why he believes that regardless of your starting point, everyone has the potential to make success. So Dan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's great to have you. Um, I want to start our conversation with regards to actually where you're sitting, because your accent betrays the location that you're sitting in at the moment, but also kind of how are you feeling? How are things today? (laughs) Uh, Things are warm today. Cheeky clue. Yeah, my accent always betrays me because I spend my time between the UAE and Mexico. When I'm over in Mexico, they assume that I'm from a different part of America because that's the only accent that they understand, or that I'm Australian, but I'm from East London in the UK, currently in Dubai in the UAE. I love it. And I mean, we, we can't open that with, how do you come to be splitting your time between Mexico <laughs> and the UAE? But also, I mean, you've had a life journey ranging from consulting to do- documentary maker, film producing, writing, coaching. I mean, just tell us a bit about yourself. Like, where have you come from? What drives you? Yeah. What's your journey? So um, I'm one of those odd breeds of people that's never really had a grown up job. I worked in a cinema when I was like finishing secondary school, going into sixth form. The Brits will understand that. The rest of you, I was 15 or 16 years old. I worked there for a summer only because I had nothing to do. And my mates were like, hey, there's like jobs here. Do you want jobs? You get free ice cream and popcorn. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, So actually my best friend, Nathan, actually, I met working there. We're still friends to this day. And I had a job in a call center in my late twenties when I was starting another business. And I, uh, I needed something just to cover the bills while I worked on my business. But other than that, I've always been an entrepreneur. That sort of translated into having different parts of the journey in in different industries. And and at the moment, having the opportunity to to share my life journey, my life experiences with people through the books I write, through podcasting, through film as a filmmaker, but then also sort of getting experience as a producer, working with really cool people like my mentor, Nick Nanton. So yeah, it's been a entrepreneurial journey overall and that's taken me down different paths now 
now my life is really sort of sharing that journey with people through different mediums. And and tell us, I mean, you you've really sort of lent into helping entrepreneurs, like sharing that learning with other entrepreneurs and, and helping other people kind of get get going really, or or indeed stay going and scale. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the journey that you've been on that gives you that information to be able to help others. And and then what does what does indeed like creating and sort of entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, a, a, I've heard you reference a millionaire mindset or mm-hmm. a abundance mastery. Like t- just delve mm-hmm. into that a bit. Like where does where does that experience come from? And then what does it mean? Mm-hmm. I think my obsession with sharing that part of the, the, the formula with people is because I was cursed with the blessing of early success. But I wasn't able to hold that success because I didn't have the experience or even the knowing that I needed the experience for certain pieces of the puzzle. So, for example, I always had quite a, a solid mindset. I was reading books like Think and Grow Rich when I was 16 years old, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz I read as a teenager. You know, I was kind of that person. But again, I didn't have the experience, the physical experience, nor did I have the emotional resilience that's required to operate at a certain level. And so going through the pain of making and losing everything twice by my early 20s, which took me to a very dark place, I ended up later in those 20s, coming into my early 30s, really feeling a pull and a call that there are people that do want to be an entrepreneur or do want to create value, not so much for themselves, but to actually be a contribution to the world at large. And when I really settled into wanting to be more impactful, it made sense to me to support those people who are going to have mass impact so that together we can really do something of meaning in the world. Oh, wow. I mean, and, 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 but also just to sort of pick yourself up again and again from failure. And um, if you don't yeah. mind, we'll come back to that one in a, in a bit. Sure. I was wondering, can you delve into, so what does it from your perspective, when you start thinking about in a practical way, helping people, whether it's creating that millionaire mindset or achieve abundance, I don't mean to, you know, still, still, still the money out. <laughs> Have your hand, but can you share with us a bit about what that what does that mean? So, what might your advice be if you're sitting across from somebody who you're thinking, I think you can do it, but you need a bit of help? I think one of the one of the principles that I teach is something called money DNA, and, and money DNA. There's a whole sort of ecosystem we've created around that, but what it really comes down to is recognizing that we're all unique, and so everybody's journey to quote unquote success, and I define success as getting what you want but it doesn't really mean much unless you've got happiness, which is wanting what you get. That's, that's in my book. But everybody's path to success and even what success is going to look like to all of us is going to be different. Not everybody is going to be an Elon Musk, right? Not everybody's going to be a Sir Richard Branson. Not everyone's going to be Bill Gates or whatever, but we do all have a contribution to make. And so my focus really is on getting people into a place where they love and accept what potential they do have to contribute and then step into the fullness of that. So the first thing I always say to people is get really, really clear on not even what your gifts or skills are, because gifts and skills can be, you know, you can learn, you can learn those, but what are you really passionate about? And of those passions, which one are you prepared to take lots of hits, losses, and failures in the pursuit of? Then you've got something that you can play with, And then you can start to go and get the mentorship, the support, the guidance, the skills, and so on and so forth in order to make that happen. But first and foremost, where is that desire, that burning heartfelt calling? And of those, what do you love so much that you're prepared to fail at it an awful lot? And picking up on that then, so, I mean, this whole podcast is about social impact pioneers. So we're, dear listener, I presume, but maybe I'm completely wrong. 
that you might be interested in social impact, i.e. trying to <laughs> help the world, I don't know, do a bit more good or help others or the environment or whatever that happens to be. Clearly, mixing and bringing together business with that sense of a real firm passion is one thing. If mm-hmm. that passion is around like trying to be a bit sort of worthy, do gooderish, help people and environment, all those sorts of things. Do you feel that those two things are okay, that they sit comfortably together? Or do you feel that actually, you know, we need to keep business on one side and doing good on the other? How does how does that sit for you? So I'm I'm very big on philanthropy. In fact, my my life goal is over the next three to five years to be a full-time philanthropist. I sit on several boards. Uh, my family have a foundation that we're we're working diligently to make a leader in the field that we want to support. I mean the company of really great people who have been supporting me in philanthropy. I get to sit with the I've got to sit with the head of Virgin Unite, for example, and we get to support them on an annual basis with a little masterminding session that we do. Ultimately, any philanthropic effort requires resources. Any requires resources. And I'm, for example, I'm the treasurer of the board of a charity in the US. And my job is to make sure that that charity has the resources to do what it needs to do. And oftentimes, the, the, the hat in hand begging is what charitable causes end up doing. But what if there was an entrepreneurial approach to creating the value that's required in order to execute on a particular objective for a philanthropic endeavor? So for example, I've been running projects across West Africa for about 11 years now. And what I did was I invested in a local area. I gave them the kickstart resources supported with training and resources in order to be profitable, but then all of the profit for that has been reinvested. So I've continued to pump in, but not taking a penny out of that investment and allowed it to feed itself for more than a decade. And now we've not only got primary industries, we've got secondary industries, we've got schools built because they're able to support their local community properly. Uh, and we've got ecosystems that are being built on the back of entrepreneurship. With So you've got a need being met, an objective being met without need, the needing to be a hat in hand. And anybody who does have a stake actually has a selfish intent that they can pull from it, which I think is Adam Smith that said, it's not from the benevolence of the baker and the butcher that we get get our bread and meat, it's from their own self-interest. And when we recognize the self-interest doesn't have to be a selfish negative thing, it can actually be a positive thing that motivates people to contribute positively to something. I think we'll see some changes in the way that that charity as, as, a, as a whole scheme actually operates. So all of that to say, I believe value creation, which is the heart of entrepreneurship, has a selfish intent that seeks to touch the lives of more people because more people that are touched, there's more profit that's able to be made. I think that the challenge is we've had sufficient numbers of people who have taken selfish and actually made it greed, right? So they've not actually thought about others at all. Instead of just you know putting yourself first, you put yourself in all of the positions. And that's led to there being A, a shadow realm in entrepreneurship that many people are are stepping into and and following the model of, and also a disdain for entrepreneurship and people who create value, which means that they're not being as supported as they could be in creating value. And also it's not as attractive for some people to create value because that's where we get things like money's root of all evil, if you're rich or evil and eat the rich and all that sort of thing. And so I think that the the two do go together. I think there is a home, there's a, a room in each other's house and that to some extent they do actually need each other and then it can actually work because I've seen it work in my own life. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I can't pretend it wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the answer I was expecting. So um, thank you for surprising on, on today. And I'm curious to anybody listening what your thoughts are on, on that take as well. 
Um, picking up on your West Africa experience, the, I, I likewise, as you can probably tell from my accent, I sit in the West at the moment and I'm very privileged and spoiled. And so my idea of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurism looks quite specific with a whole load of um, support around it, whether financial um, institutions recognising entrepreneurs and supporting them or tax system supporting or whatever it happens to be, there's that security. Does the work, your advice, your insight and your support for people who are perhaps in a place where there is less of that formal support? I'm thinking like smallholder farmer in emerging markets who, who doesn't necessarily have that access. How do you tailor your advice? What would be your advice to a sort of entrepreneurially spirited person who doesn't have that sort of formal backing? I would actually say they're at, they're at an advantage because the, the creativity, the resourcefulness, uh, the problem solving that you have to do at that level is actually going to put you ahead of the competition. It's like if we, we made this sports, you know, if you're a tennis player and you're only playing school children, you're never going to win Wimbledon because you're just not being challenged to operate at that higher level. And someone who's only being supported all the time actually can get quite soft. I'm not saying this is always going to be the case. And of course, there's some merit to being supported and still having the drive. But I think that when someone doesn't have the soft landing, they can only win or they go down. Then there's an energy that sits behind that that actually can sit can, can put you ahead of everybody else. So yes, we do need some basic support. We do need some at least basic structures and infrastructures and frameworks to be able to be successful. But I certainly think there are an advantage if we don't have the complete soft landing because we've got no choice but to win. There you go, everybody. Feel empowered today, wherever you are, whatever your background. Um, Dan, I wanted to pick you up there. You mentioned right at the top around failure, your own failure, and picking yourself up again. And you just talked about that just now about that kind of when you can that own you can only win mindset. What does failure mean to you? And and what advice do you have for others from your experience around how do you remotivate? How do you pick yourself up? Because the idea of oh I'm you know I can bounce back and I'm resilient. It sounds lovely. Nice words, but mm-hmm. so for me, failure isn't isn't an experience, it's a choice. And it's the choice that we make to not go for it again and to accept circumstances as they are. One of the things that I've found in my own life and in the lives of, of many people whose lives I've gotten to study, in fact, one of my mentors, Greg Reed, wrote a book called Three Feet from Gold, where he actually collected the stories of many, many of the world's most successful business people whose success actually only came at the point of them going through those darkest times and those biggest failures. Another interesting statistic is I think if this is in North America, I'm not sure if it's across the world, but certainly in North America that the average multimillionaire has been bankrupted or at least had a massive financial failure twice in their life. So if you've only had one failure, then you're only halfway there in terms of the formula to, to reaching success. And so, yeah, so for me, failure is, isn't the failing event. It's looking at the event and saying, okay, I'm not going to continue and this is the end of the story. I came very close to that myself. To some extent, I kind of actually did actually accept the circumstances. But in terms of like the second big downer with me, it pushed me to make a particular choice that led me down a particular path where I accidentally ended up back at success, despite the fact that I had actually set out to, to fail and to give up. And so giving up, I think, is, is what the failure is. The experience could actually just be a test. It could be a bump in the road. Um, some people look at it as some kind of spiritual opportunity. I personally say it could be all of these things, but just recognize that life has got different texture to it. It's got ups and downs. It's not one dimensional. And each and every one of those components makes life as a whole. 
Thank you very much for sharing that. And I, yeah, average millionaire being bankrupted twice. It's sort of that frightening piece of being allowed to fail, like society mm-hmm. to fail and pick yourself back up and keep going. And mm. I, I, I was wondering, I mean, given your experience, given the sectors that you sit across, the philanthropy work that you were talking about, but also your locations, I'd be remiss for asking you, what are you seeing that we're not? What are the trends that you're seeing? What's like on your radar that you're thinking, God, this is coming down the pike and nobody's really noticing. What are you saying that others aren't? I think people are noticing, but they're either comfortable. Um, one of the things that we saw, and this goes to the soft landing thing, in 2008, we saw governments step in to create a temporary solution that actually made things worse because what ended up happening was not too long later, there was 10 times as much bad debt running around the global economy than there was in 2008. And that's gone up now, especially with quantitative easing that's been happening. And so I think one of the things that, that I'm seeing, because I, when it comes, I don't want to get too political, but I like to keep a cross-spectrum view on what's happening on the political landscape across both sides of, of, of all, all the aisles at the micro, macro and, and global level. And my, my family's from, from the, the continent of Africa, specifically my parents are from Zimbabwe. So I've spent time in the continent over the years and I do business over there. And I'm seeing what's happening in terms of the shift away from the West over to more of an Eastern partnership perspective. And I've seen over the last decade, the approach that you know countries over in the East have taken in order to establish that foothold. So for example, if you know certain countries go into country A in the developing world, they'll come in and they'll say, okay, you use our currency, we'll give you weapons, we'll give you protection or whatever, but then you have to bend your policies to match X, Y, and Z. And then you get you know, country B from over the east side that come in and say, we'll give you all of that plus more. You don't have to use our currency, use your currency. In fact, we'll help prop up your currency by trading in your currency locally. We want these things. We'll give you jobs. We'll train you and leave you independent. And by the way, you can run your country the way that you want to run your country. And that is leading to big shifts. I think it was a week or two ago, BRICS, which is a group of, of countries that are kind of building up to rival NATO and some of the, the, the Western coalitions, you know, Saudi Arabia is moving over to BRICS, which means they're going to drop the US dollar. They'd already been in talks with China to trade in the yuan. It, it's very messy. And if we understood, I think, the way that things were intertwined, we'd probably pay more attention to these little things that are happening on the global scale because they, they are going to have impact. We saw inflation got really, really high recently. A lot of blame was placed on, on the war in Ukraine. But unfortunately, there were economic factors outside of that that would have led to the same outcome. So I think we need to just sort of educate ourselves on the way that some of these systems work. And I think it's really important that we start to to maybe look around for more information and not just, and this isn't me going all conspiracy theory and saying, you know, stay away from the mainstream media. I'm not doing that at all. But what I'm saying is it's very, very, very powerful if you you have a bit more of a wider approach to where you're getting data from and actually start to interrogate data and be a bit more critical in your thinking because your savings, the percentage on your mortgage, the stability of your job, all of these things that, that are important to us as, as, as people, they're kind of on the table on, on poker games that we don't even know are happening right now. And it's only by understanding what those games are that we can start to shore ourselves up and prepare for some of the potential outcomes of things going one way or the other. 
So where are you getting your news from? Where are you getting your insights from? Or is it sort of still very much sort of gut instinct and in, in what you're seeing and experiencing? So I, I, I look at everything. So I look at the weirdos that wear tin hats. I'll look at the people that wear very sharp suits. Uh, and I'll basically read between the lines on it and do my own research as, as well. One of the things about being in an information economy, yeah, information economy, is that there is so much data and information that's available at your fingertips. But unfortunately, because some of us are still of a mind that we can rely on one place for complete data, I, I don't want to say we're being hoodwinked, but we're certainly betraying our ability to have all of the information. I don't think any one area is going to give you everything. That's why you have to kind of go to the buffet and, and try a few things out and see and, and really interrogate. Because some, if something's true, it will stand up to the test of interrogation. If something's true, then it will stand up to you cross-referencing it, cross it with someone else. I mean, a lot of the people being silenced are weirdos, yes, but there may be something in what they're saying. So, you know, just 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 be open to to looking and 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 be open to to perhaps not having all of the answers or the people that you've looked to for the answers not necessarily having all the answers. Again, this isn't me going all conspiracy weirdo or whatever. It's just really inviting people to think for themselves a little bit and make choices from an informed place that you've actually researched and looked into for yourself. Absolutely. And as you said, there's so much information out there. And again, anybody listening, I'd love to know what you're reading or listening to or browsing and getting your information from, because I'm sure, you know, I, I certainly sit in my little echo chamber and haven't got a clue what else is sort of beyond until I start exploring. So I would love your thoughts. Mm. Um, Dan, I would love to um, sort of anchor it back. We're, we're coming towards the close of this conversation, but a couple of things. One is, what are the big, as I say, we're the social impact pioneers podcast. So what are the social issues that you are particularly mindful of at the moment and potentially even working on? And then, you know, how do you think we should be working on them together? So I, I'm a firm believer that where we place our focus and attention, we actually give more energy to. And there's a whole conceptualization of something called universal law. And one of the, 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 the ideas that's shared in that whole framework is something called the law of vibration that says that we're only going to receive answers that match the frequency of the questions that we're asking. And so rather than focusing on an issue, what I actually focus on is a positive outcome that I'd like to see come about. So rather than, for example, focusing on, on pollution or global warming, I focus on a healthy environment that's able to support human life and is a benefit to nature and the animals and, and, and everyone in nature that we share that with over the longer period of time. And so when it comes to world hunger, I don't focus on world hunger. I actually focus on how can I empower more people to be sufficient in the resources that they have to not only thrive themselves, but to also be of contribution to others. And so that's where entrepreneurial philanthropy comes in for me. And that's what my philanthropic intent, idea, target is all about. It's empowering more communities, because I think community is the way forward, empowering more communities to be not only self-sufficient, but able to contribute to other communities and empower them so we can start a positive virus of growth. And I think that when we look at some of the things that are going on in the world, when we look at war, when we look at famine, it's really because resources, I feel, are not being produced. And I'm not talking about people hogging them. They're not being produced in a wide enough scale. And by empowering more of these grassroots uh, resource creations and, and plugging them into the, the overall ecosystem, we'll start to see a rebalancing of economic power. And that's going to be good for the world as a whole. Because at the end of the day, 
resources are what make things happen. You want to solve global warming? It's very difficult to do that without resources. You want to stop animal cruelty? It's very difficult to do that without resources. You want to stop world hunger? It's very difficult to do that without resources. So if we start to spread the resources out and give people not only those resources, but the power to continue to, to create those resources and empower others to do so too, we can have a very, very good foundation for a generation or two to see that many of the challenges that we face as humanity not to be so impactful, even if they're here at all. Thank you. And for anybody listening, if you want to get involved um, with anything that Dan has been talking about, I'll make sure I put links into the words that sit alongside the podcast uh, so that you can get in touch and find out more and learn about the universal laws and the law of vibration and, and be a part of it as well. Dan, I want to wish you a very, all the very best. Come back to us anytime. I'd love to find out how uh, your, the trends that, those, that you're seeing, you know, that kind of shift of power evolves over the, the coming years and, and decades. It'd be very interesting. You know, I tell you, I tell you someone who's really interesting to, to follow on that. Ray Dalio has a very, very, very completely dispassionate look at the data. His book, I think it's called The Changing World Order. It's a very big book, but he's written it in such a way that you can actually read through following the highlights. And he's tracked back hundreds or like thousands of years and showed that everything moves in cycles. And he's tracking those cycles against current world powers and showing how things are moving. So Ray Dalio's book, I think it's um, Changing World Order or something like that. It's called a very, very good book. Noted. Everybody, I will also put that link into the, <laughs> into the words that sit alongside. We're going to have a really big reference library here. <laughs> 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 but on that note, on this Tuesday, Dan, thank you very much for coming thank on you for and sharing me. your thoughts with us. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.